Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the 8530KG podcast. Uh, this will be episode number two of the podcast about episode number one, season one, episode number one of the series, The Brockford Files. Uh, this little teaser promo uh, intro, I guess, for the podcast this week. Uh, I am recording it uh, at Paradise Cove in Malibu. I thought this would be a good spot um, to at least do the intro from. It's too windy to do the whole show out here. Um, you're probably getting a little wind noise on the mic anyway. Um, I'm standing about as close as I can uh, to the spot where Jim Rockford's trailer was located uh, here at Paradise Cove. And, uh, you know, I just thought I'd do the intro from here because why not? Anyway, we've got a pretty good show for you, hopefully. So stick with me and we'll be right back. Thank you for joining us uh, on this episode. Thanks for sticking with me through that windy uh, intro that I recorded out at Paradise Cove um, in Malibu. By the way, if you have a chance to go out there, it's beautiful, obviously, but you know, just you'll recognize not only from the Rockford file, you'll recognize it from so many different things that have been shot out there. I think Lethal Weapon, one of the Lethal Weapons, uh, uh, maybe two, I can't remember. He's got a trailer or uh, some sort of home actually out on the beach. And if you just do the, the research on, that on the internet, a lot of really cool stuff has been shot out there, and it's it's just it's really fun to be there. Um, highly recommended. Anyway, thanks for joining us on what is season or excuse me episode two of the podcast, where we talk about episode one of the Rockford Files, and it's starting to get confusing. So I'm going to stop referring to the episode of the podcast number and start just referring to the episode of the Rockford Files that we're talking about. So anyway. Uh, this is season one, episode one, aired on September 13th, 1974, uh, and it's entitled The Kirkoff Case. This episode was uh, directed by Lou Antonio, another Oklahoman, much like James Garner and myself, um, and uh, written by Roy Huggins and Stephen J. Cannell. So this episode is basically, and here's the tagline for this episode, if you were to look it up in TV Guide, the heir to a family fortune hires Rockford to find his parents' killers. When we start this episode out, and I, I like how... When a show or a movie starts, like, in the middle of something, you don't get all the pretense of someone coming to a, a private detective and hiring them for a case and all that. You actually start in the middle of a case. We never actually see the client hire Rockford. We just see him talk to Rockford later. Um, but it starts with Rockford um, being tailed by a pickup truck. He's sort of following. It looks like he's being followed, but as it turns out, he's following this pickup truck from the front, which is fantastic. So he actually sees the pickup truck, truck pickup truck pull off the side of the road on the PCH. So he keeps driving for a little while, and then he does a U-turn right in the middle of the highway and goes and parks on the other side of the street. Um, he sees the, the guy driving, which is this cowboy guy, get out of the truck and go down towards the beach in Rockford. Quick thinking on his part, uh, jumps, uh, goes back to the trunk of his car, pulls out a fishing pole, takes off his sports coat, and it looks like he's wearing slacks and a nice shirt just to go fishing uh, down on the beach in Malibu. Um, so the location of this, by the way, and I, I was just there um, two days ago um, at this spot. It's Leo Carrillo, or is it Carrillo? I don't know. Leo Carrillo State Beach, 35,000 Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu. It's north of Paradise Cove, about uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and I actually parked our rental car, um, as it turns out, about one car length further uh, than Rockford Park. So I parked in about the same spot, just from memory. 
um, and we crossed the highway. And let me tell you, uh, you take your life in your hands when you try to cross the, the PCH uh, that time of day. You, you, need to, uh, you need to pay attention and you need to run. And parking on the side of the PCH is dangerous anyway, even though people do it. But uh, the, anyway, so uh, yeah, I was just there, I, although I did not go down to the beach because I didn't want to get my shoes wet. <laughs> um, because, I mean, you know, it was, it was, the water had been up pretty high, so the, all the sand down there was pretty much very wet, so I didn't want to get down there. But I took some pictures from the, from the cliff. Um, anyway, so Rockford kind of follows this guy. We have no idea why he's following this guy at this point. Um, so <clears throat> the guy goes down to the beach and he sort of disappears. So Rockford ends up coming down there, goes through this cool arch, which is there. You can, you can go through that arch yourself and pretend that you're Jim Rockford. Um, which is the great thing about this show. You can do as you know, you can pretend you're Jim Rockford all over LA from all the places that he's, he's been in the show over the years. Um, but he sees this young lady reading a book and he asks if, you know, he, she saw this person she says, no, Whatever, there's a little, you know, a little banter back and forth. So the guy's basically disappeared, and Jim is kind of given up and started to walk back to his car. Well, then that girl who was reading the book drives up in her little uh, convertible and uh, chats Jim up a little bit, and she invites him to her place for a drink. Um, which, and that should be a red flag, but, I mean, if you're Jim Rockford, you're like, hey, of course, you know, I'm going to go I'm gonna have a drink with this girl. Um, so he goes to the... Uh, apartment where the lady is and as it turns out it is someone who's connected to this cowboy that that uh, jim has been following uh for this case we still know nothing about at this point um by the way the actress's name is um julie summers she was in some stuff in the 70s um her voice kind of reminds me of julie Haggerty from airplane it's like a really high kind of soft um voice almost kind of a calming voice. Um, uh, anyway, so she invites Jim to her apartment for a drink. And as happens uh, from time to time, especially on television shows, the drink uh, had something in it other than alcohol. And the next thing you know, things get fuzzy for Jim. Uh, he does realize it a little too late, but he does make it to the door of the apartment and halfway down the hallway. He realizes, though, in time, that he probably should take his PI credentials and hide them. So when he falls in the hallway, there's an extremely curiously loose rug in the hallway that he, where he falls, he can, he's able to tuck his ID under that so that uh, nobody uh, will know who he is when he comes to. Pretty good thinking on his part. I would say that's, uh, that's smart thinking. So when Rockford comes to, the cowboy uh, is holding a gun to Rockford's face. We later find out the cowboy's name is Travis. Uh, he's played by uh, actor... Uh, Roger Davis, uh, you know, who's, uh, he's been in some things. He was, uh, the uh, narrator in Alias Smith and Jones. He was Dark Shadows. I'm just reading his filmography on IMDb. I don't know these things off the top of my head. Uh, but he, he's been in some stuff. So anyway, the cow, he kind of reminded me, his name was Travis, by the way, sort of reminded me of Travis from WKRP. Um, just because he was wearing denim from head to toe and he kind of looked like the, the guy, Gary Sandy, who, by the way, is awesome. We always, who doesn't love Gary Sandy? So the cowboy wants to know who Jim is when he wakes up. Um, and there's a couple of great lines in the scene, by the way, when Jim wakes up, he looks at his legs, he's wearing nothing but his boxers below the waist. And Jim says, what have you been doing anyway? 
which I, is just like so funny. The, the way he says it, I mean, you can just imagine if you haven't seen it. Um, you know, it's just it's hilarious. And later he says, can I have my pants, please? In such a perfectly exasperated tone. And I, it's just it's so funny. There's always good comedic little lines in there, even though the situation itself is very serious. Um, kind of lighten the mood a little bit. And that's it's kind of a staple of the series anyway. And being this being the first real episode, you get a chance to kind of get what the tone is going to be um, going forward. Um, and Jim tells the cowboy uh, that he's investigating the Kirkoff killing. And he heard that Travis was having an affair with Mrs. Kirkoff. Um, so anyway, Jim ends up knocking out the cowboy with this trick, um, with flicking a, a cigarette uh, and then hitting him while he's concerned with a cigarette. It's kind of a, a trick that apparently Jim learned, possibly in prison. We don't know. Um, anyway, so Jim ends up knocking him out and then he goes to his client, Larry Kirkoff, who's played by uh, James Woods actor James Woods. Um, obviously, you know him for many things. Um, he's kind of a, a... He plays Larry. Larry's a rich kid who inherited a ton of money from his parents when they were killed. They were apparently both murdered. Um, and uh, anyway, so he's... That doesn't seem suspicious at all, by the way. A super rich kid. Both parents, both parents were killed. Inherited a lot of money. Okay. Anyway, so Rockford tells Larry that he thinks... He's out of leads on the case in the parents' parents' killings. Um, we find out a grand jury actually indicted Larry at one point for the murder of his parents. The DA just didn't have enough evidence to bring him to trial. Um, you know, James Woods in James Woods in this. Obviously, if you've seen some of the great acting that James Woods has done over his career, this is not it. Uh, obviously, very very early in his career, um, not not. Uh, to use a well, to use a pun, uh, James Woods was very wooden in this in this uh, role. Not a whole lot of expression, just a, kind of a smirk. Which you, I mean, he's a rich kid, so he's supposed to be this kind of smirky, jerky uh, character. Um, but it's a little too understated for me. Again, it's TV in the 1970s. There's a different sensibility. Maybe it played better then. Um, just not a super great performance, but whatever. I mean, we all know he's a great actor, despite whatever has happened since then. So the next scene has Rockford and Larry James Woods in a photo dark room. Um, and we see a photo that Jim took of the woman who asked him into her apartment. So before Jim left, he had a tiny little like spy camera type, like the kind you see in movies where they they'll take, uh, you know, pictures of documents or something like a really tiny little mini uh, film camera. He took a picture of this woman when he left. Um so they're in the dark room. They're developing. Larry apparently is a hobbyist photographer, I guess, as he's developing this film and, and blowing up a print. And Larry looks at this woman and, and identifies her as someone he saw with his father at some point. Um, he assumes she was having an affair with the old man. Um, so that, that's just what he assumed because he saw this young woman with his older, rich father. Um, so... Jim decides to kind of snoop around and try to find this woman. So Larry saw her at the club with his father. He thinks, well, okay, this woman is probably working, you know, working some cons at this tennis club trying to find rich older men. So he goes to this posh tennis club to kind of snoop around and find the woman. Um, so he gets access through a fake story about being an old friend of a member. And this is classic Rockford, 
perfectly done. He just invents a character on the spot. It's always someone from out of town. It's always got he's already he's got a business card printed up with this fake uh, person's name. Uh, well, actually, he uses his real name. He uses his real name a lot for a guy who comes up with a lot of fake characters. Um, I guess it's easier to remember that way. But this guy, I think, is an insurance salesman. He's got a card with all that printed on there. Um, so he does get in the club, and he does see this woman who's sitting at a table with another older, let's face it, quite rich gentleman. Um, we find out her name is Tanya. Um, it turns out Tanya and Travis have been looking into the killings themselves because uh, Larry was never brought to justice for them. So they're try- they're basically looking into it themselves at this point. Um, later, Jim gets a mysterious call from a woman claiming to have information on the killings. And he is told to go meet her at the Sierra Lounge on Wilshire. Um, well, when he goes to the Sierra Lounge... Uh, he gets ambushed by the valet. This is why you park your own car, by the way. Don't trust the valet. One, they'll, they'll ding your door. And two, uh, you have to tip them, of course. And three, they could just knock you out and then kidnap you, which is what happened to Rockford. I mean, that doesn't happen very often, but obviously it happens enough. Um, so Rockford gets ambushed by uh, the parking valet and some other goons. And he gets taken to this warehouse, this remote, we assume, remote warehouse. Um we have another one of these scenes where um, Rockford gets beaten up. Seems to happen a lot, which is something I like about the show. I mean, it, it's, you know, the hero is not a guy who's going in and kicking everybody's ass. He's actually getting his ass kicked quite often. He gets some good shots in, but uh, he takes quite a few good shots, too. And I think that's that's kind of endearing part of his character and uh, slightly more realistic than a lot of what you see um, on television and movies. This uh, tough guy uh, tells him... Hey, Larry is the killer. We don't want you digging around into all this stuff. We've got some real estate deals. We don't want anybody to find out about it. You know what I'm talking about, all this and that. And uh, so, you know, stop looking into the killings is basically what he's telling them uh, to do. And so he leaves them with $200, which is, you know, that's a whole day's work for Jim Rockford. Uh, and then on the way out, he breaks both headlights on the Firebird. Like, really, man, you, you leave me $200, now I'm going to have to have these headlights replaced. And he has to rent a car because in the next scene we see him uh, with a rental uh, rental car, so he's not even driving the Firebird for most of this episode, which is kind of upsetting for those of us who like the Firebird. And we'll uh, get in with the rest of the uh, show in just a moment after this message. I assume it's Act 2. I don't, I'm, I've tried to write some screenplays in the past. I'm not sure we're even in Act 2 at this point. Uh, we come back from commercial. Uh, so we're going to say that's Act 2. Uh, it begins in the police station where Jim is reporting the assault that he just suffered at the hands of the goon to his old pal Dennis Becker. Becker asks him what case he's working on. And uh, he tells him the Kirkoff case. And then, you know, Dennis becomes the latest in a long line of people to tell him that Larry is the one who killed his parents. Everybody knows Larry killed his parents. They just can't prove it. Um, so he's, everybody has told, everyone has told Jim that this whole time that Larry is the killer, but you know, it's still a client still ostensibly getting paid for this. Um, 
So Jim tries to get Dennis to call somebody at the Hall of Records to see who owns the warehouse where he got beat up. This is kind of funny to us, you know, in the year 2020, that someone would have to have someone call an actual physical person at the Hall of Records, which sounds like an ancient thing anyway, and find out who owns a piece of property when you should just be able to go on the Internet, make a couple clicks, and then see, oh, this is owned by so-and-so. That's kind of funny, um, the way things were when we were all younger. Uh, anyway, so he tries to kind of get Dennis to do that. Dennis doesn't want to do it, of course, as as happens many times. And then Jim decides he's going to bribe him with handball points to get to say yes. Like he's so apparently so competitive and wants to beat Jim in handball so badly that he's willing to do something he doesn't want to do and will probably get in trouble for if his boss has found out about it. And all that just for a few extra points and like being spotted a few points in a handball match. That's kind of a strange thing. I guess that gives you a little insight into their um, relationship, which we don't know a whole lot about at this point. Being season one, episode one, we know a little bit from the the pilot. Um, and I'm wondering how many people who even saw this first episode when it came on even saw the original uh, TV movie. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them did, but if you missed it, you I don't even know if they reran it. They may have reran it before uh, they started season one. Uh, because it came on in the fall it may have reran it over the summer but even if they if there's probably a lot of people who saw season one episode one that didn't even or did not even see where this came from so they're kind of being kind of thrown in the deep end in this series and the good thing about this series is it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out what's going on you can figure out the characters you can figure out the relationships pretty quickly um and you know this show to kind of get sidetracked for a moment uh deviating from my prepared remarks um, you know, there's really kind of three characters or four characters that will be kind of mainstays in the show. And some will come and some will go, but they'll always be Jim, they'll always be Rocky, they'll always be Becker, and they'll always be Angel. And they're not all in all in every episode other than Jim. Um, but they're, most of them are in most episodes. Um, all of them are in some anyway, it's just, it's, you kind of, you have a lot of characters that come in and out, like transient type characters that will come in. They'll have some stuff to do and they'll leave. You'll never see them again. Some you'll get a call back to episodes where they'll, you know, they'll come back a few episodes later. It's a very tight core group and you can understand the show pretty quickly in this first episode because it's well-written. Um, you know, their interactions are well-written enough to where you don't need a whole lot of backstory. And you got some backstory with Angel in the pilot about, you know, them being friends from prison. And, you know, Angel says he did the thing that got him in prison, even though he's, he had claimed not to. And on, and Jim, Jim said, well, I, you know, I, I'm innocent. I was innocent. Turtle. That's why I got um, pardoned. And he pulls so up you, a, you, you I believe kind of a white Chevy Just to get a little classic. glimpse into that. And that's um, all you need to understand. Looks like to me. Although the, there was no the Chevy emblem on the front. And I was wondering if anyway, maybe they took that emblem okay. off because there's another white Chevy Caprice Classic in this show being driven by another character earlier and they didn't want to confuse people so they just took the chevy emblem off and if you're a car guy out there and i'm wrong about this being a caprice classic i'm pretty sure it's a caprice classic i mean i've seen you know i grew up in a time when those cars were all over the place i think that was a caprice classic anyway i thought it was strange though that there was no uh chevy bow tie on the front of that one it had obviously been removed 
Anyway, so he's at the Owl and Turtle uh, to meet Tanya from earlier, the young lady. Um, so he, I guess he had to rent this car. He mentions he had to rent a car because the goons broke out the headlights on his car on the Firebird. So uh, Tanya and Jim sit at this little table. It's literally, it's a tiny two-top table, you know, and it's made for people to sit across from each other, but for some reason they, they have them on the same side of the table, I assume for camera angle reasons, um, which is kind of weird because they still cut back and forth between the two of them, so it's not like they're saving a whole lot. Of, they might be saving some setup time because um, they really just had to move the character uh, the camera over a few feet to shoot both angles instead of having to completely do another setup on the, on the opposite side and change the lighting. That's probably why. And time is money on, on, on a film set, a TV set, and if you don't have to change lighting, if you can just move your camera over a few feet, that's, you know, that's probably uh, why they did that. It just kind of looks funny when you see two people. It seems funny to see two people sitting on the same side of a, of a table or booth if they're by themselves anyway, but when it's a, like a some very small table, uh, it's even funnier. To me, that's just kind of a thing. I, you know, it reminds me of Seinfeld with the whole, you know, making fun of someone for sitting on the same side of the booth. That's something my wife and I do constantly. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> they're uh, they're at the Owl and Turtle. Uh, she tells Jim she was with him because she was with Mister Kirkoff because he has money. Uh, but she was also attracted to him. She claims she has you know, not just he wasn't just rich. He was also I was also attracted to him. Um, after Jim says he can't afford this fancy restaurant, Tanya says she can't either. So they end up going to a drive-in, like a like an old-school drive-in. Uh, not a movie drive-in, but a food drive-in, uh, where Jim orders a coffee with his burger, which <laughs> I had forgotten how people used to order a cup of coffee with a hamburger. So strange. But, uh, you know, whatever. At least he takes mustard on his burger, which is... Which is the only way to take a burger. You know, no mayonnaise on a hamburger. And Jim wants his mustard so much so that he ends up honking the horn to get the the uh, the attendant's attention because he wants that mustard, by God, on that hamburger. Um, so Tanya says that Mr. Kirkhoff has been talking on the phone with a guy named Muzzy. Uh, she heard him talking to a guy named Muzzy. And earlier Rockford said he thought that the goon from the warehouse may have been a boxer. And this is a bit of a stretch, by the way. This is where I get into sometimes if you're writing something and you need to wrap it up in sort of a hey, timely manner and you, or you can't think of a way to tie two storylines together, you have to kind of make a leap. You have to kind of have one thing that's kind of crazy to bring it all together. And this was kind of that moment for me in this show. Because earlier he told, um, when he was reporting the assault to Dennis, he told him, you know, the guy had kind of a raspy voice, like, you know, he had his windpipe uh, broken, like maybe he was a boxer or something. Um, and then so uh, Tanya says, you know, this guy named Muzzy was on the phone with him. And then Rockford's like, you know, I remember an old boxing na- an old boxer named Muzzy. Um, so then he sort of like figures out Muzzy, I forgot his last name, whatever Muzzy's last name was. So... <laughs> he kind of puts that together very quickly. It's sort of a random thing, but it, to me it's sort of a, can we tie this up quickly? Because we're, you know, 40-something minutes and we need to get this show over with because, uh, you know, Quincy Quincy M.E. is coming on next and we, we need to wrap this up. Uh, um, anyway, so, uh, and I don't know how he tied this one together either, but Muzzy uh, apparently works for a union boss. See, sometimes when you're watching these shows, you miss little things, and I've watched the show several times, and I guess 
the reason I miss this is because when the next scene we flash to, Abe Vigoda is in the, the next scene. And all I can think when I think of, when I see Abe Vigoda, I think of two things. I think of him playing Fish on Barney Miller. Absolutely hilarious. Of course, he's also, he's in a lot of movies and stuff, especially back in the days. I also remember him from what I consider one of my top five favorite Tom Hanks movies, which nobody else likes or has seen, called Joe versus the Volcano. And he's fantastic in that, too. But anyway, uh, so Abe Vigoda is there. Um, he's this, he's this I'm going to say mob boss. He's a union boss. Um, he goes and he says to uh, his, his Al, I think is the character's name, but I'm still going to call him Abe or Fish. Uh, he tells Abe that one of his goons named Muzzy has a gun, which apparently he shouldn't have, uh, and he had a contract out to kill Mrs. Kirkhoff. Um, so Abe uh, sends his minions to round up Muzzy and take any guns he might have. Jim, suspecting something might be up here, um, follows them uh, just to see what happens, make sure, you know, what's going on. Um, the next thing you know, he's, you know, parked outside the house where these guys go in to, to get Muzzy. He hears a couple gunshots. Muzzy comes out. The The guys who went in there to get him, they do not come out at all. So... The next thing you know, we're in a... By the way, Muzzy comes out, gets into a 1974 Pontiac Ventura, for those of you who like to know these things. Uh, he gets in the car, sees Rockford parked in the car on the street, and immediately we have a good old-fashioned Rockford Files car chase. This one actually goes through a golf course, which is kind of fun. Um, as a rider, this must be great, because you've got you're killing two whole minutes of the show with really not having to write any dialogue at all. Uh, so that's like, it's gotta be like a nice break for you. Like, Oh man, you know, I only got to write 42 minutes worth of dialogue this week. Cause we got a two minute car chase at the end. This is great. Um, so we get to the end of the car chase. Muzzy gets his car stuck in a sand trap, uh, on the golf course. Jim gets out, hits him with a shovel. And then there's a joke with some people who are trying to play golf. Um, I forgot what the joke was, but, there's always a joke in those situations at the end of it. Um, kind of a lighthearted way to kind of wrap up the car chase, I guess. Um, so then Jim goes back to his client, who, of course, as we all remember, is the the uh, punk-like uh, James Woods. Uh, and gives him the news, hey, Muzzy killed your mom. Uh, he had a contract, had to kill her. Then Jim tells him, you know, he says, I think you killed your father. But, you know, the police, they can't prove it. So you got away with it. Um, and then, oh, and this is another thing that always gets me about the Rockford Files. He's about to pay Rockford. Okay, all right, I'm going to pay. I'm going to write you this check. And then they start talking about one other thing. And then by the end of it, Jim's like, hey, can I get that check? Uh, you know, give me, give, give me a check, you promised me. And then it's another one of those, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll make you the check. It's like, you got to get the check, man. Because these people, they're about to give you the check. And then, he's, then once they decide they're going to mail you the check, you're not getting that check. I mean, the amount of times Jim gets stiff by these clients. No wonder he's living in a shabby trailer, is all i got to say. Um, always get the check. Uh, in the epilogue of the show, uh, we see like a newspaper headline that Larry has admitted that he killed his father. Apparently he thought his father killed his mother, or had his mother killed. And that's why he killed his father. His mother was killed by that Muzzy character. Um, so that kind of wraps that whole story up. Overall, pretty good episode. I mean, I feel like 
obviously the first episode was difficult. You kind of walk in the line between still trying to give some exposition, although they really didn't. They kind of relied on the TV movie or just the fact that it's well written enough where you don't have to go into detail about all this stuff. Did not see enough of the Firebird for my liking. We saw it very early on. No crazy driving in the Firebird, all the car chase. The only car chase we had was at the end, and that was Rockford driving that uh, Caprice. Um, no J-turns, of course, nothing like that. Let's see, what what food did he eat? He ate a hamburger in this episode, and then he offered to buy Tanya a hot dog, I think, at the end of the episode. Um, so that's that's his food eating for the week. Um you know, Rockford likes to eat, he likes street food, man. I mean, like, he'd be perfectly at home in today's world where there's food trucks literally on every corner, although they might be a little too fancy for Jim, I think. I feel like he, he wants, a like, a greasy taco from a taco place or, you know, just a good old sloppy hot dog somewhere and not, like, you know, some artsy-fartsy uh, food truck thing. You know, like a, like a f- like f- you know, foie gras. Foie gras? Is that how you say it? I don't know. Anyway, I'm uh, I'm running out of time here. I want to wrap this show up. Hopefully, I didn't ramble too much. Hopefully, uh, you've enjoyed it enough to come back for another episode when we have one. The next episode will be season one, episode two that we'll talk about. I'm excited about that. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, if you even know about the show, surely you follow us on Twitter. If not, it's at eight five three OKG Podcast on Twitter. Um, our website, which is where you can find the show. And all the places that you can find the show, all the various platforms that we're on, uh, is 853okg.com. Um, if you want to contact us, contact us on Twitter. Um, you can certainly do that. Uh, and uh, we hope to uh, have you back to uh, hear another episode soon. Take care.